Hey there, my name is Roy, and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And we're glad that you've joined us for part three of our current series, What Would Jesus Actually Do? Well, Philippians 4.4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Uh, what's the purpose of your life? I mean, the verse we just read says that you and I were created by God, and we were created to have relationship with Him. A relationship in which we find joy in. Now, many of us believe that to be true, but we struggle to experience this. We, we, we don't have the level of intimacy with God that we would like. And like we, we heard last week, we need to, you should pray always, but that God wants to have relationship with you, that wants to have communication with you. And, and I think we want that, but there just seems to be things that kind of get in the way. Now, the Bible says that there's an enemy to our soul. And so you would think that, 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 that an enemy would, would want you to have a, a, a different kind of relationship with God. That would, he would want to attack you in some obvious ways. Attack your belief system. And then if you have enough doubt about the existence of God, you'll turn your back on God. That seems like the obvious attack point. But it's not as simple as that. Because we want to believe in God and we want to be connected to him. But life has a way of putting a lot of things on our plate. There's a lot of things that we need to juggle all at the same time. Because from about the time that you turn about 16 years old, life seems to get a little more complicated. There are a lot of balls to be juggling in the air. What school am I going to go to? What am I going to study? How will I pay for all of this? How do I keep my grades up? Who will I date? Who will I marry? Where will we live? I need a job. I need car insurance. I need life insurance. I need health insurance. Should we have kids? How many kids? Public school? Private school? I need a bigger car. I need a bigger house. I need a new job. I should volunteer. I should save for retirement. Now there's COVID. What about my job? What about my family? What about my kids? What about the economy? What about my, our future? And it never stops. And those are the everyday things that every person thinks about. And, it, and, it's, and it wasn't like there became this point where we stopped believing in God or we decided to disconnect from him. It's just at some point in the midst of the angst of my life and juggling all these things, I lost track of him. So what do we do? And all those things I listed only scratched the surface of the decisions that you make over the course of your life. It's not that we can just eliminate all those problems and just go live in a hut on the beach in the Bahamas. It's not that the decisions are the problem. It's the anxiety surrounding the decisions that become the problem. And that's what Jesus warned us about. In Matthew chapter 6, he talks about this with his disciples. He says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your Heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. There's that verse again from last week. Jesus says those things are important. But stop worrying. That's what unbelievers do. Jesus says, don't worry. But if you're a worrier, and some of you are worriers, if you're a worrier, the worst thing somebody can say to you is, don't worry. Unless, unless they know something that you don't. 
I was reading a story this week about a waitress in Texas and at a Denny's, and she doesn't have a car, and she walks seven miles to work each day, and then walks seven miles home after work, after being on her feet all day. And she leaves her house around 6.30 a.m. to start her shift at 9 a.m. And her goal is, is to save up enough money that she can buy her own car and eventually put herself through school. Well, this older couple came into the Denny's that, that one day and they sat at her table, one of her tables and they struck up a conversation with her and they asked her a little bit about her life and the conversation eventually came to this spot where she was telling them about what her goals are and, and her biggest challenge right now is this seven mile walk each day. Now their response at the time could have been, don't worry, I'm sure it'll all work itself out. Which is nice, but it doesn't help. However, if they knew something she didn't, it's a different response when you say, don't worry. And it turns out they did. Because as soon as they left their meal, they went straight over to the local used car dealership and they bought her a used car. And so when Jesus says, don't worry about these things, it's because he knows something that we don't. Instead, he says, seek the kingdom of God, and he will give you what you need. So he contrasts the anxiety or the stress that you have with seeking the kingdom of God. And what he's showing you is, is that our anxiety can become the biggest obstacle in accomplishing the will of God in our lives. The enemy's greatest strategy is to keep you from becoming the man or woman of God you were meant to be. And the way he does that is by filling you with anxiety or allowing the anxiety to take over. But for many of us, we live with this reality of what Jesus warned us about in Luke chapter 8, where he said, he said, the word of God is like a seed. And he said, I want to plant that seed into the soil of your heart. And as you hear my words and you plant this, them deep into your soul, they are going to burst forth with life. And they're going to grow and they're going to flourish and become fruit that is going to bless others in this world. That's my hope for you. But then he says there's going to be challenges with this garden that you're growing in your heart. One of the challenges is as this little seed begins to sprout and grow, a weed is going to attempt to come along and choke the life out of it. And so the disciples would later ask Jesus, uh, what was this weed that you were talking about? What, what, is the, what is the weed that's going to choke out the word of God? And in, he says in Luke, it's the worries of this life. See, for some of you, you don't feel close to God or you aren't experienced joy from your relationship with God because the word of God is being choked out by the worries of this life. And God wants to do something powerful through you, but worry is sabotaging the work of God in you. So we need to deal with that. Because not only will it block the plan that God has for your life, but anxiety will cause you to comp compromise and eat away at you. It'll cause you, anxiety will cause you to do things out of fear. Things that you never imagined you would do. For example, a recent study from Rutgers University found that 70% of students that they spoke to attempted, admitted that they cheated on a test to get better grades. 70%. You don't cheat on a test unless you are worried about your marks. Unless you're not confident in your own ability. Unless you're worried that your best is not good enough. Anxiety about dating will, will 
cause you to choose Mr. Wrong or Mrs. Wrong because you're worried that you'll always be alone and Mr. Wrong is better than Mr. No one. So you lack the confidence that the right person will come along. And so you allow anxiety to make bad choices for you. Anxiety about finances will tempt you to make unethical decisions. I dare say that most people that begin taking drugs, it begins with peer pressure. And that pressure stems from an anxiety that if I don't do this, I won't, I won't be liked. I won't be accepted by this group. And if this group doesn't like me, perhaps I won't find one that does like me for me. And so we compromise our values because of our anxious thoughts. Now your body, when it comes to anxiety, was designed to deal with short bursts of anxiety. Anxiety or stress is your body's response to harmful situations. It actually protects you. It's why is your, your stress level, your anxiety is what causes you to slam on the brakes when the car in front of you slams on their brakes too quickly so that you don't crash into the, into the back of them. But your body was never meant to handle long-term stress or anxiety. The, the, your anxiety could, in fact, be killing you physically. I was looking at WebMD, and they list the physical side effects of stress or anxiety, and they look like this. Low energy, headaches, upset stomach, diarrhea, aches and pains, chest pain, rapid heart rate, insomnia, frequent colds and infections, nervousness and shaking, ringing in the ear, cold or sweaty hands, dry mouth, clenched jaw, grinding teeth. Those are the side effects. But those lead to bigger issues. Left unchecked, it leads to depression, mental health issues, high blood pressure, heart attacks, strokes, eating disorders, skin disorders, loss of hair, and or gastro gastrointestinal issues. See, your physical body can be experiencing trauma as you worry over scenarios that may actually never even come to life. It may ever never actually come to fruition. So we need to deal with that issue. It may, because stress or anxiety or will affect your physical self, your spiritual self, your mental self. And so Jesus says, don't worry about these things. Now, if you're a Christian, can I say this? The world around you that's watching, they're not impressed with the fact that you go to church, that you sing songs of praise, and then you worry about the same things that everybody else worries about. They're not impressed by that. As followers of Jesus, we were meant to live differently. Jesus says, I desire for you to get to a place where you are engulfed in, in, in anxiety and stress. That when others see you, they wonder, where does your sense of peace come from? There were some ancient inscriptions discovered by historians in, in Turkey. In this city called Phrygia. And among those inscriptions was this name, Tidadios Amorinos. And historians studying the inscriptions that they came across, they drew some conclusions from some of, the, some of these names and inscriptions that they read through. Tidadios was a very common name in that region at that time. It was very common, maybe like John or, or Bob for us. But Amorinos was, was not. Amorinos was, was, a, was a name that was... Not, not found anywhere else. And so they, they came to the logical conclusion that it must have been, it had to have been a baptismal name. 
Because many people in the New Testament would have a name, but then once they were baptized, once they'd given their lives to Jesus, they were given a new name. For example, Barnabas in the New Testament was given the name Joseph at his birth. But once he was baptized, he was given the name Barnabas, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because he was an encourager. Well, this name Amarimnos is a strange one. Because the Greek letter A in the front means anti or opposed to. And that's where we get this, this term atheist. It's like anti-theist. Theist believing in God, anti not believing in God. So this name, Amrimnos, well, Marimnos means worry about stuff. Amrimnos is the not worried about stuff. Amrimnos could only be a baptismal name. And so historians came to the conclusion, perhaps this was a Greek man that was perpetually worried and at some point devoted his life to Christ, was baptized and renamed Titus. Titidios Amrimnos. Titidios, the man who never worries. That's who you're meant to be. He wants to rename you with your name, Amrimnos. That when you were saved, you were not just rescued from your sin and your condemnation, but you were also rescued from your anxiety. That's why in Philippians 4 6, Paul can confidently say, Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Some translations say, be anxious for nothing. That means you were never called to be anxious for anything. You were never called to be anxious. Isn't that great? That doesn't mean that you don't care. That doesn't mean that you aren't supposed to show concern for the things that God cares about. But some people think that to be obedient to God is to carry around anxiety filled with burden with them everywhere. Like they have a very serious face. And it's like, because I care so much. But Paul says, don't worry about anything. But care about many things. Worry about no thing. Pray about everything. Do you see the contrast? When you have a thing, and we all have a thing, your job, your bills, your, the, your test coming up, your, your health, your wife, your kids. Instead of tossing and turning at night and allowing my heart to race and my stomach to churn, I'm going to lay it before God. I'm going to worry about no thing. And I'm going to care and pray about everything. Now, before you tune me out or turn me off on the screen here, you're thinking, well, that's great advice. Worry less, pray more. Before you check out, let's analyze your current strategy for anxiety. Because for many of us, if we were to rewrite this verse based on not what we hope to do, but what we actually do to handle stress, well, maybe we would write something like this. Don't worry about anything, but eat everything. Don't worry about anything, but get drunk on everything. Don't worry about anything but escape into entertainment or social media or whatever addiction falsely fills the gap. Don't worry about anything but ignore it and hopefully it will go away. Has it? What's your anxiety solution and how's that working out for you? And there have been studies on anxiety about how to deal with it. 
And these aren't church studies or religious studies. These are outside studies. And researchers have concluded over and over that the best way to deal with anxiety is through meditation and gratitude. There's your answer. And Paul's over here going, hmm. See, I, 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 I tend to remember writing, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Hmm, meditation and gratitude, that sounds familiar. Wow, 20, 000, wow 2022, I'm glad you finally caught up. See, society's stumbling upon the, upon the answer that Jesus taught his followers 2,000 years ago. The question is, what else is society going to discover that Jesus has already said? So what do we do? Well, if you have the King James Version of your Bible, it says this, Be careful. For nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the verbiage here is so interesting. It says, let your requests be known. Let them be known. It's like they want to be known, but I don't let them. They want to be known to God, but I just don't let them. And that makes sense, because if you're a worrier, that worry hits as soon as your feet hit the floor in the morning. And your mind starts to, starts to go into overdrive. And you start to begin your worry routine where you're thinking, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about my finances. I'm worried about my kids, about COVID. I'm worried about the future. I'm worried about what I don't know what I should be worried about. And then life gets busy. And so I don't really have time to deal with the things I'm worried about. So I, I push them down. I suppress them. I push them down. And even when, even when I come to church and people say, how are you doing? I say, I'm doing great. And I push them down. I don't let people see them. I push them down. And I suppress them. How is that working? Paul says, let your requests be known to God. They want to be. And some of these are real concerns. Stop pushing them down until you're physically sick. Let them rise. Let them be known. As concern rises up in me, instead of pushing it down, I'm pulling it out and I'm giving it to the one who can do something with it. So how do we do that? We do, Paul says we do that through prayer. See, that's Paul's generic way of saying, carve out time for God. Spend time with your maker. But you're thinking, I'm, t I'm too busy for that. You can't afford not to. If there's something that COVID has done, a positive, is it forced us to slow down. It forced us to consider what's actually truly important. Too many of us were running ourselves into the ground. Our schedules were full, and we were filled from morning to night, and we were running around. We thought it was going to be better for us, better for our kids. And we were, you were busy, but you were accomplishing less, and you weren't growing as a person. You were like an octopus who was wearing roller skates. There was a lot of action going on, but you just weren't going anywhere. We need to slow down, and we need to do what matters. And that includes making regular time connecting to your Creator. He wants to hear from you, He wants to hear your concerns. How many kings do that? There's a story from 1982 of a man in Great Britain named Michael Fagan. And Michael was an unemployed painter who was down on his luck. He was unemployed and he was suffering from Britain's poor economy. And in the middle of a custody battle, life was really tough. And it just seemed like no one cared. No one in power cared. He wrote letters to his MPs and, and, and to the prime minister. And it just, no one seemed to care. And so he felt 
like genuinely, Queen Elizabeth was out of touch uh, of the average man, and she needed to hear what he was experiencing. If only she could, if only she knew what was going on with the average person, she she would do something that would change things. And so one night he got the idea of trying to break into Buckingham Palace to speak to her, which sounds crazy, except he actually did it. One night he scaled the fence, got past the guards, climbed up a drain pipe, found an unlocked window, and, and he snuck into Buckingham Palace. And it was later at night, and so there wasn't a lot of a lot of people around. He wandered around the palace and he looked at some of the artwork and he sat in the throne for a little while and he found some cheese and crackers that he ate and he drank a half a bottle of wine that he found. And eventually he got bored and he snuck out and went home. Well, a month later he decided to try again. And this time he was even more successful because he was once again able to get in. But this time he was able to find the queen's bedroom where she was just waking up in the early morning hours. He just wanted to present his problems to her, hoping she would hear him and do something about it. But she startled. She was startled by him. And she kind of rushed, asked him, what are you doing here? And rushed out, made a phone call to security to come and have him removed. See, kings and queens generally do not welcome an audience with their subjects at any time of their subjects choosing to unload their concerns. But that's not true of the king of kings. He not only wants to hear your concerns, but he wants to take your concerns. He wants to take on your stress and your anxiety. He wants to hear from you. There's a story about Abraham Lincoln that demonstrates this. General Lee, not, not the Dukes of Hazard car, but the actual General Lee, had 76,000 troops push into the north to attack Pennsylvania, the Battle of Gettysburg. And when word got back to Washington, to Abraham Lincoln, panic took hold of, of everyone around. Yet historians report that in the midst of all the panic, Abraham Lincoln showed a very strange calm as he made decisions while under attack. And eventually, Lincoln led them to push back General Lee and his troops, and they retreated. Later, Lincoln would visit one of his wounded generals at Gettysburg, and the general asked Lincoln, how do you stay calm and make good decisions in the middle of all that chaos? And here's what Lincoln told him. He said, well, I'll tell you how it was. In the pinch of your campaign up there, when everybody seemed panic-stricken and nobody could tell what was going to happen, oppressed by the gravity of our affairs, I went to my room one day and locked the door and got down on my knees before, before Almighty God and prayed to him mightily for victory at Gettysburg. I told him that this war was his, and our cause was his cause, but we could not stand another Fredericksburg or Chancellorsville. And after that, I, I don't know how it was, and I cannot explain it, but soon a sweet comfort crept into my soul. This feeling came that God had taken the whole business into his own hands, and that things would go right at Gettysburg, and that's why I had no fears about you. See, prayer will not take the decision out of your hands, but it will allow you to make good decisions. Anxiety is an obstacle to making smart or good decisions. So when I create space to lift my concerns to God, there's a peace that comes that allows me to make smarter decisions. It's important that you release your anxiety 
but then you replace it. Replace it with God's truth. Replace it with God's word. A number of months ago, I was ministering at a funeral, and this was the first actual funeral I'd done from start to finish. I'd taken part in different parts of funerals, but I was the officiating minister in this, this funeral, and I was, I was a little anxious, if I'm truthful. So about 15 minutes before the service was about to begin, I'm sitting at the back, and I, and I sort of felt nervous, but I figured, I have a handle on this. I, I, I got this, you know push the anxiety back down. Except, I guess I wasn't doing as good a job as I thought because all of a sudden, a message popped up on my Apple Watch that said, high heart rate alert. We've noticed your heart exceeded 120 beats per minute while in a resting state. And I thought, hmm, I guess I'm not doing as good as I thought I was. So I closed my eyes and I began to pray and I lifted my anxiety to God. Release. But now I needed to fill that with something better. And that's when I thought about Joshua 1.9. This says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Release your worries. And then fill it with something better. In 1993, Jeff Strucker was a ranger with the Marines. And the Marines were given this task in Somalia to capture a terrorist leader. So there was, this entire operation was meant to take place in 30 minutes, in and out. They were going to go in, strike fast, capture the leaders, load them into a Humvee or Hummer, and take them right out of the city. And all the while, two Black Hawk, Black Hawk helicopters were going to come into the city quickly, drop by a zip line, uh, a bunch of the Marines, they were going to take, take by force and... and Everyone's going to exit. The whole thing, like I said, done in 30 minutes. But instead, the two Black Hawk, hel Black Hawk helicopters that were providing the air cover were shot down by Somali forces. And then, the crashing right into the middle of the city. Changing this covert, covert operation into what is now known as the Battle of Mogadishu. Hollywood produced the movie Black Hawk Down around this story. So now you have this small group of American soldiers surrounded in the middle of a city, susceptible, while all kinds of Somali soldiers, thousands of them, start moving in on their location. And so 24-year-old Jeff Strucker's role in this mission was to lead this, this team of Humvees into the, into the city, escort the prisoners that were captured and the Marines that had been dropped in, back out of the city as quickly as possible, back to the base. But now the mission has gone wrong, and his job is now to get a wounded soldier that actually fell off the zip line, who needs immediate medical attention. It's now his job to lead this group back to the base so that they can get their wounded soldiers out. But the Somali soldiers are closing in, thousands of them, on their, on their, on their position. During his exit from the city, his vehicle took hundreds of bullets, from Somali soldiers along the route. And he lost his best friend who sat beside him from a bullet wound. Strucker successfully led the group of three Humvees back to the base and was relieved that for most of them they'd made it out alive. They unloaded the wounded and, and then his commanding officer came to him and said, you've got to go back. There's more wounded Americans in in the city, our, our soldiers, our guys need you. 
But his orders were, before, before you leave, though, I need you to clean up the blood that's in the vehicle. It'll traumatize the other wounded soldiers when they see it. And he tells this story as he began to quickly clean his Humvee. Panic begins to set in. Begins to freak out. And he starts thinking, I can't go back. I can't, I can't, I'm going to die. I can't go back in there. I just, I'm lucky to make it out the first time. I, there's no way I can go back. I can't do this. And in that moment of anxiety and panic, Strucker began to pray. And he kept saying the same things. I can't go back. I'm going to die. But instead of saying them to himself, he's releasing them to God. And as he began to talk to God about his fears, he says he began to get this thought that drowned out all the other thoughts. And this, this prevailing thought that came into his mind was the Lord commands my destiny, not my enemy. The Lord determines whether I live or die, not any other soldier. And if he allows me to survive this day, then I will go home to my wife and my children. But if he does not allow me to survive this day, I will go home to my Lord and Savior. And so as he did that, his mind began to clear and he started to think rationally. He finished cleaning up the Humvee and he drove back into the battle and he rescued more soldiers. Brought them back to base and then he did it again. And he did it again. And he did it again. And Jeff Strucker demonstrated this rhythm where we release our worries and replace it with his thoughts, his truths, his words over our life. That's what Paul's teaching. And here's the whole passage. Rejoice in the Lord always. I say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. Release. Present your request to God. Then replace. Think on whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, praiseworthy. Then what happens? The God of peace will be with you. What would Jesus actually do? We, we heard what he said. Well, right after he gives the, the disciples the talk about planting a seed in their souls and the weed of worry would suffocate it, they all get into a boat. And while they're on a boat, the, this massive storm rolls in and they're beyond worried. How worried is Jesus? Well, he's in the boat sleeping during the storm. And so... They go and they wake up. Wake up, Jesus, wake up. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the, the waves, Silence, be still. And suddenly the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And what we see here is the disciples, they model this action of take their concerns to God. They take their concern to Jesus and they release their fears to him. And then he replaces it with something more. He tells the storm how big his father is. And he doesn't allow the fear to cripple him. He doesn't allow the waves in front of him to paralyze him. He speaks from the authority that his father has given him. And that's our cue. We take our worries, our anxiety, our fear, and we release it to the one who can do something with it. And then we replace it with his words, his truth, his thoughts. 
And then we take the authority that has been given to you and you go from telling God about how big your problems are to telling your problems how big your God is. Let's pray together. Father, we're in a place right now in 2022 where our anxiety can be crippling. There are a lot of things where it seems like we have to worry about, whether it's the economy or whether it's, it's our health concerns, whether it's over a future for our kids, the mental health of everyone around us. There's, there's so many things that, we, that we're concerned about that we're worried about. The problem is that worry can, can affect us. It can affect us mentally and physically and spiritually. And so, God, allow us to put our, our faith in you. That you are above all things. That you see all things. And that our worry actually doesn't extend our lives another day. Our worry doesn't accomplish anything. But allow us to take our fears and anxiety and give them to the one who cares. Give, them the, give it to the one who has the power to do something with it. And allow us to fill that, that space in our minds with your thoughts, your words, your truths. And let us, let us take solace in that. Allow, it to, um, allow, it to allow us to make better decisions and, and fulfill the destiny that you have for each of us. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.